Folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. There's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, August the 10th. That means it's interview day, and I've got a great show for you today. Uh, I have Chris Johnson, and he is a really cool guy. Born and raised in Oklahoma, grew up in the suburbs of Tulsa. And he just recently got finished building a house on raw land. They bought a piece of land, and were all ready to build their house. This was about a little over two years ago. Guess what happened right in the middle of the project? That's right, the COVID came, and all of the supply disruptions and problems along with it, and that made the build take probably longer than it would have, and it caused some costs that maybe wouldn't have been there otherwise, and some delays and other things. And He learned a lot just from the project, and he learned a lot from the disruption, And he did his project as kind of a hybrid. He didn't build his own house, but he didn't just pay somebody to build his house. He did a lot of things himself. He contracted a lot of stuff out. The stuff that made sense to DIY, he did. The stuff that didn't, either economically or from a skill standpoint, he didn't. Like you'll hear him at one point talk about how he did the tiling in, in, in the secondary bathrooms because it was just basic straight tiling. And the more intricate, more artistic uh, tile work in the master bathroom, he had somebody that's a professional tile person do that, because he, as he's on words, he said, I suck at tile. This is a really great discussion, and I think we probably need to have more discussions like this of building homesteads from the ground up one way or another. Uh, so if you if you have a similar story, but maybe the same but different man, you know, consider filling out a guest form. And I'll, I'll just say that right now. Uh, I've got some room for some guest spots coming up. So if you are interested in being on the show, there is one way to get on the show. There is no second way. It is you go to the site, and you'll see a tab at the top of the site. This is guests. You click it, and there's a very simple form there. And you either fill it out completely as it's instructed to do, and you submit it, and there's like a 90% chance then that you're going to get on the show. I mean, it really is that strong. Like some, it's like, that's just not a great fit or whatever. And usually those... Or people just straight shilling something, or people that have no idea what our community is all about. Most people from our community that ask to be on the air get to be on the air. So I'll throw that as an invitation right now. And you'll hear another version of that invitation toward the end of our interview here with Chris in just a moment. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day today. Number one, J.M. Bullion. Look, guys, silver and gold should be part of your wealth preservation strategy. Yeah, I'm big on Bitcoin. I think you should have some, but I also think you should have some silver and gold. I am not a one or the other kind of guy. Uh, there is an incredibly long history of gold as money, and there is a, a, the same with silver, plus silver has what you would call an inelastic demand. In other words, silver is used as an industrial product, in the medical industry, the electronics industry, etc. And the things it's used in and the places it's used, it is not optional to not use it. There is nothing else that will do what it does. So that means there's a constant demand and the people that are buying it for those purposes are going to, you know, it's such a small amount per unit, no matter how high it goes with, within reason anyway, they're just going to buy the same amount anyway. So both of them are good long-term investment strategy. And I believe when it comes to silver and gold, it, it, you know, unless you're doing IRA or something like that, just SLV because you're trading then, that's different. But when you want to own silver, own gold, 
you should be able to put your hands on it or you don't own it. Just like kind of not your keys, not your coin. You can't put your fingerprints on it. It's not really yours. Somebody else has it. And then if you're buying physical metal, you should get the best price and the best service you can. That's what you'll get at JM Bullion. You'll even get a discount. And it's a monthly limit how often you can take it, but a monthly limit and purchase minimum requirements on it. But you can get a discount if you're an MSB member. RidgeWallet.com is our other sponsor of the day. You know, we do talk about crypto again, and your know, key's not your coin, and we talk about crypto wallets. But what about a real wallet, the one you carry your credit cards around in and things like that? Did you know that your information can be stolen off of things like the RFID tags in your uh, IDs and your, 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 your cards? That you can actually you can look up on YouTube how to do it. Like YouTube University teaches everything, even bad things. Little parts you can buy, and you can go around wanding people's ass and handbags and stuff like that and steal information. Well, if you encase it in the titanium of a Ridge Wallet, you won't be able to do that. And Ridge Wallet has turned into a hell of an EDC company, everyday carry company. They have some really cool stuff, and you get 10% off everything all the time if you're an MSB member. So check out RidgeWallet.com as well. With that, let's dive headlong into it. Let me introduce our special guest again. His name is Chris Johnson, and let's drop into the live feed now. And we are live. Welcome, folks, to uh, I think it's episode 3142 of the Survival Podcast. I know it is because yesterday I, I, I didn't do it, but we had 3141. And for some reason, I heard 3141, and I wanted to go Mullerum, Sularum, Coolerum. 3141. And he, some people will get that pop culture reference where that's from. Terrible, terrible movie. Way to ruin a franchise. Anyway, uh, we're going to talk today about building a house on raw land and the journey that happened to do this with our guest uh, during the COVID uh, pandemic. Uh, but before we do, real quick, I just want to, you'll notice right down there on the bottom of the video, you will see that it says, I will never contact you for any personal information or private chat, et cetera, in the video comments. Just because you see my logo does not mean it's me. This is happening all the time. Uh, so please don't think if you see, like, I'm on WhatsApp, let's connect or whatever. Guys, don't don't fall for that because it's probably not me. I'm going to play with this and see if our focus will fix. There we go. Anyway, I want to introduce our special guest right now, Chris Johnson. Uh, he was born and raised in Oklahoma, grew up in the suburbs of Tulsa. Cool dude, and he has uh, now built a house on raw land, but it didn't start out built. It started out as raw land, so that's what we're here to talk about today. Uh, Chris, can you give us a little bit about your background first, though? Like, before you were building houses on raw land, what did you do professionally, the things like that? Sure. So my background, um, typical suburban kid, um, public high school, um, Got interested in computer science during high school, so went to college for that, graduated, got a job out of college, and so been doing software engineering ever since as, as my trade. Um, and then uh, during college, I met my wife. Uh, so we, uh, I graduated college, got married, started my first job all in the span of a month, which is crazy exciting. Uh, it's fast forward, I guess, a few years. Uh, in the suburbs, had now kids, um, raising a family, doing the typical, the, I guess, the typical type of stuff. And, um, you know, through a variety of circumstances, we, my wife and I decided, hey, you know, we would like to move out in the country, you know, either buy or build at the time, but just mainly get some land for, for all the reasons you might think, right? And, and so we started the journey of 
saving money, paying down our current mortgage on our house in the suburbs to try to get capital and equity and all that type of stuff. Um, and at some point, like right before the pandemic, we decided, hey, let's uh, I think we're ready. We got I think financially we're ready. We have a plan. So hmm. let's do it. So we sold our house in the suburbs, moved in with uh, my in-laws, her folks. Uh, and that was like November of 2019, closed on land in like February of 2020. And then everything went crazy from there. <laughs> <laughs> and we were yeah. kind of committed at that point. You're not the only one that has that experience either, that you had like this perfect plan in place. And you're ready to implement it. And then the, the, the universe is like, guess what? <laughs> chaos has entered, chaos has entered your organization and it shall be destroyed. Um, but you guys did push on with it, right? Oh yeah. No, we did. I mean, so we, we were, aside from the fact we had the land, it's the land we wanted. And, in our plan, we tried to do as much margin as possible. We had, we tried to have enough cash on hand from the sale of our, of our house in the suburbs, right? Where we figured, okay, but you know, the house should cost X. I figure with me DIYing as much as I can and having that flexibility, we should be able to save a certain amount where if the plan goes well, we come out really well. If the plan goes south, I, or if I, you know, I got injured or something where we got to complete the project and I can't swing a hammer, you know what? We have a little higher mortgage, but we can still, budgetary-wise, we can afford it. And I'm not happy, but I'm not destitute. So that was kind of our plan. You had a contingency. That's something yes. that the average American is unfamiliar with a contingency plan, which is ironic because – I've talked to a lot of people, like, and I'll ask them, like, so what's your contingency plan? And they don't have one. Well, if it doesn't work, I don't know. And then you say, well, what do you do for a living? And you'll, this is what I find odd. People, like, if, if your job is I punch widgets out on an assembly line, I get it. But you'll talk to people, like, they're executives and corporations, and they're implementing contingency plans every day in the business that they, they work for. And then they go outside of their own, their you know, their work world, and in their own world, they don't implement a contingency. And I think that that's – that buffer overhead, that plan, if this, then that. And uh -huh. you can never cover every contingency, but you can at least have, like like you just said there, a top-line contingency. I'm up on the roof, I fall off, my back hurts, I can't do the rest of the work, I have a contractor finish that. you know. And I think like another contingency would be, well, maybe I don't need to be on the roof, mm -hmm. so I'll DIY all this stuff, and I'll have a roofer do the get up on the roof on the outside fall-off part, and oh, yeah. I won't do that. And like so you 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 can pick and choose, like, not only maybe what you don't want to do your DIY work with because maybe you don't have the skill set because you're going to have to look at it every day. Somebody just today, I should have grabbed this picture on, on Twitter, posted like somebody did floor trim and it was going around this really intricate pillar and it was like all pasted together and crap. And I'm like, this is what I mean when I say I will hire somebody to do certain things if I have to look at it every day, right? And yes. so the contingency is a, a really important, but I guess it really starts off with, the land itself, because that's going to impact building decisions, cost of delivery of materials, electrical plumbing, code base, like, you know, as far as, like, what you have to comply with or don't comply with. Like, where I'm at, the land's harsh, but I can do anything I want, right? Like, so let's kind of start this off with if somebody doesn't have land yet, 
and they're looking for land, what do you think some of the most important things are when shopping for raw land? Sure. Uh, so, I mean, the, I guess the, the common thing is location, right? And, and that's, that's really true. I'd say location from your life, right? So balancing both now and in the future. So like right now, I've got, a lot, I've got kids. Kids are busy with activities. Being out in the sticks is not the most convenient place. But it's where we want to be, and it's where we want to be long term. You know, especially if you're treating this as your kind of forever home, and circumstances certainly come up where maybe that plan changes. But if you want to be here, retire here, or whatever, you know, do I want to trade? Hey, I got 10 minutes extra on my commute or whatever, but I get to retire in paradise, so to speak. Yeah. Right? Is that yeah. worth it to you? 10 years of commute versus 30, 40 years of retirement. That those are equations that I think you know you want to consider and balance. Um, you know, it's different for everybody, but but it's a consideration to be sure. Um, I, I would say access, you know, roads. Do you want a paved road to your driveway? I have it. It's nice. It's better than a dirt road, but maybe maybe dirt road's okay. Uh, that, those are things to look at. Utilities. What's it cost to get utilities out on the property? What's even available? Internet access. Um, you know, knowing those things. I, I know, I think one of your guests previously mentioned about, you know, uh, where the case of like off-grid solar makes sense, where if the utilities cost so much to bring in, then, hey, off-grid's looking pretty cheap. So, I mean, I, these are considerations, certainly. In my case, the utilities were fairly, you know, I had everything at the road. It was great. And the power company practically installed the power for free just with allotments they, they choose. So researching those things, knowing who provides your power, knowing who provides your utilities, talking to them and getting, a, getting you know, kind of a lay of what, how much this stuff costs, right? Um, I'd say water. You know, do you want water on the property? In my case, one of the selling points, I've got about a half acre pond. Uh, and that is nice for all the right, you know, all the reasons. So uh, if that's important to you, get that. Um, I, I think you alluded to one of these, um, the, uh, the legal kind of aspects. You know, what county are you in? What rules do you have to uh, abide by? I, my place is similar to yours, Jack. I'm out in the county. No inspections, no permits, yeah. no nothing. I can do whatever I want. And that was a big thing because in my case, I wanted to DIY a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff I couldn't have done if I wasn't out in the county. You know, because I just would have had so much red tape, it probably wouldn't have worked out. And that doesn't mean I cut corners, but that's just the reality of, <laughs> of dealing with the government, right? Is that you have to abide by all those rules. Um, yeah, uh, Hunter on uh, Twitch is saying one of the things is internet is 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 a big thing for some for some people it's not even a big deal but you know if you run your business on the internet and you got duct tape internet you know dial up in 2022 mm-hmm. that's 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 kind of a hard thing I think it's becoming less an issue I don't think Elon's quite there with Starlink everywhere yet but mm-hmm. I think even just Rural broadband itself is so far beyond where it was 10 years ago, but it is a consideration. Oh, yeah. And I would agree with that because right now I'm on a DSL connection. Yeah. And, oh, my gosh, it is rock solid. I'm amazed. I never, you know, I, I, I was skeptical, but it, it's working. You know, it's 30 megabit, but it works. Yeah. And and I've got fiber coming later this year from the power company. So I, I smile when people say, you know, like it's only 30 megabit because – you know, I oh, come yeah. from that world, and I remember now is 
there's a difference between shared and dedicated. But I remember a T1 line costing around a thousand bucks for guaranteed synchronous 1.5 by 1.5. Oh yeah. And companies being completely satisfied with that. Oh, and yeah. uh, I mean, if you're in a position where you think you can get T1s for a lot less today, um, a lot of people think, well, that wouldn't be enough. You'd be surprised what that line would do if it's a dedicated line. It's like having your own street with no cars mm-hmm. on it. Yeah, that's only as fast as you can go, but you can always go that fast in both directions. Because we used to run, we used to run switching gear with, you know, 20 IP phone sets and everybody doing internet and sending email all day long on a single T1 or dual T1. Anyway, that has nothing to do with this. It just gave me a flashback when you're like, oh, yeah, it's only 30 meg. <laughs> oh, no, I, I can't. I'm old enough to remember. I came from the same world, dial-up modems and such. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, 128 kbps ISDN. Right? It's like basically two two fast dial-up modems at the same time in both directions. Like, I troubleshooted them in college, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Let's talk about Let's go handle the subject. Um, yeah. What should your financial health look like, do you think, before you take on building a house? Building a house and buying a house are different. There's pluses and minuses. But when you buy a house, it's pretty much, here's the house. Somebody, mm-hmm. some guy, go before the bank lets you buy it, a guy goes in, called an inspector, points out all the stuff that needs to be fixed, that you rehaggle. There's an appraiser. Make sure you don't overpay. The bank literally won't give you the mortgage without these things happening. And that's cumbersome. But it's a safety net. It prevents you from doing dumb things. Or like in my case, it let, let me get a much better deal on the house because it underappraised. And it wasn't an, an unfair underappraisal, but I didn't care. Like when you go build a house, like you are kind of all on your own. So I think maybe you need a little more cushion than, hey, I have a 3% down payment FHA so that I can have a loan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's my first bullet point, cash. <laughs> okay. Lot, lots of cash. More than you think you need. Um, just to have that insurance, right? Just to have that buffer. Um, cause things will cost more, especially if you're building on raw land. Like in my case, it was forest. Trees get in the way of building a house, right? So they kind of got to go and that costs money. And in my case, I think I had to buy all of the shale in the county to get the pads and the dirt work done to be able to build. Mm. I mean, like 125 loads of shale on this place to get it buildable. And and that very much went over budget of what I thought land clearing might be because I had no clue, right? And yeah. so just having that cash for all of the, you know, the second order ignorance, right? The unknown unknowns. I don't know what I don't know, and you can only research so much before you just got to go and do it. So having the more cash you have, the more kind of insulation you have for those. Do you, do you those have problems. kind of a ratio? Like if the estimate on the project is two hundred thousand. 10%, 20 grand over budget as your reserve or 25. Or, I mean, obviously the bigger, the better, but is there like, yeah. like I wouldn't go below this percentage. That, that's, that's a hard one. I mean, so those numbers I think would drastically change, uh, um, you know, pre and post, uh, you know, uh, you know, pandemic and whatnot. So I, I, for my case, it was probably, I had cash reserves set aside for other things you know, for, for, for after the build and basically had to dip into those reserves. But I mean, you're talking, I don't even know, 20% would be comfortable. 20% would at least get you close. That's, that's, that's about how our numbers worked out to where I had, you know, what the cost, you know, paying cash for the land after that. 
the cost of building the house, having another 20% on top of that, whether that's cash on hand or headroom in the mortgage or, or both or however you want to do it, that would be probably a good recommendation. And like you said, the more, the more, the better. Gotcha. Um, we had a, a question here from Walt. We can do this one on the fly. He said, throw out some numbers. What did that land clearing cost? Uh, what amount did you go into it with? Yeah, I, I can give you a little bit of that. So, I mean, I think like for land clearing, I think we had budget about 10 K for, okay. for, for land clearing. And I think our bill ended up being closer to 30. Oh, that's yeah. There's and, that and, whole, and, a $200,000 project. There goes that whole 20. Oh yeah. Right. And, 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 and the big part of that was material. Right. Yeah. The actual hiring the machinery to to move things was about right. Not that bad. But when the truck, you know, the dump trucks keep coming. Yeah. Because, the, the you know, the, the guys leveling the pads and building up the, the driveway and everything. When you still need more material and it still ain't level, they'll yeah. keep coming. And, and, and so, you, I mean, was that, it the ground itself, like a soil type situation or something like was it clay that moves and you needed to re like, why did you need so much shale? Um, best I could tell, and I'm no expert on this, right? I mean, it's forest yeah. floor, pretty spongy. And, and so I think as they were compacting and building out the driveway, you know, maybe 200 foot of driveway. And then okay. that's I, I a long driveway too. That's just a, yeah. Yeah. And, and that was probably 200 foot of driveway, uh, 150 of that maybe to the house and then a house pad. And then I had a, a 30 by 50 shop and a pad for that. So it was a little more than just a house, but just building all that out and they kept packing the shell down and the ground keep eating it. And <laughs> they kept yeah. packing it down. So. Gotcha. Cause that's also the case that. So on the driveway, it's, if you're going to pave it, if you pave it and it, it moves like then you lose everything. So that, okay. That makes sense. That's why you had to use so much freaking shale. Okay. Yeah. Um, what are some of the design considerations to think about when you like, I think you worked with an architect on this. Um, yeah. and, and what kind of house did you build? Like did you just do a standard stick house. Did you do a timber frame? Did you do a sip panel? you like, what, what led you to pick what you picked? Sure. <clears throat> so, so my wife certainly had some ideas as far as floor plan and inspiration, you know, scouring Pinterest and whatnot, try to figure out what, what look we wanted to do. Uh, and so that's how she started with that, just kind of a rough floor plan and pictures, right? And then we took that to an architect. Um, Housewise, standard stick built, um, you know, two by four type construction. Um, I would have loved to go the, the high speed, low drag, you know, ICFs or any of that kind of stuff. But the reality was to get maximum house for the budget, we kind of had to stick it traditional. And we wanted a, a larger, a little larger house just with four kids, we wanted to have the space, not only for the kids, but as we empty nest and have, you know, four kids, hopefully that will yield a lot of grandkids, right? And so just being able to have those big family gatherings and having the space. Uh, so traditional stick built house, um, you know, nothing, nothing too crazy. Um, and working with the architect, um, one thing that we were presented with initially that we didn't really think about is some of the options, because when I think of architect, I think, okay, he's going to draw us some, some plans and that's it. Well, they, they have kind of some full service stuff now that where he offered a full 3D walkthrough where they would render your house in 3D, interior designer, pick out every color and pattern and everything and build it virtually before, before you ever, you know, break ground, which is a cool feature. 
Yeah. They, they wanted to charge for that, obviously, but it was a cool feature. So that's something to keep in mind if that has value to you. I, I can definitely see it because especially as you get later into the project when you're stressed out and you got to finish it and you don't know what to do and there are 5,000 colors of gray you got to pick from, you know, having all those decisions done. Do I want tan that, or do I want sandalwood? <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. If you have all those design decisions done up front and you, and you budget your time, right, where it's all done before you even break ground, then when you actually go build the house, you know, it is, it's Legos and paint by numbers, right? If you stick to your plan and you don't I think have it'll to help think. couples too. Cause like I visualize really well. My wife does not like something simple, like a deck. I can be like, well, if it's going to be a 16 foot off the wall deck, it's going to be right there. And the ledger board's there. So the height of the deck's going to, I can see that in my head. Mm-hmm. And my wife can't see where the, what the couch will look like until the couch is there. Mm-hmm. And that's an extreme difference. And then you're arguing. And But if you can visualize, because I see that like on the home improvement shows and all, like they show, well, this is the wall in blue, this is the wall in brown, you know, and this is if we put a island in or if we don't, and this is what a table would look like. I think that that would help people that don't visualize well. And if you're doing this, like you said, if you're building on raw land, you're probably attempting it may life may change your 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 plan. You're probably attempting to build a house you're going to live in forever. Yeah. So that decision is a lot bigger than hey, we're buying a three bedroom stick built starter house in a subdivision until we figure out our life. That, yeah. That's that's a totally different level of decision. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I will add because this came to mind, if you don't want to do the 3D architecture and you've got a uh, a young daughter who likes to play Roblox, they there's like house building in this game where they can design 3D houses or whatever. So I had my daughter recreate our house in this game, 3D, and she fully furnished the thing and and, and basically did what the architect would do, but in the game engine. And we actually used that to pick out kitchen cabinet colors, and it worked well. Uh, So that, it sounds kind of crazy as far as, you know, using using a kid's kind of video game to to do that. But, yeah, it's a little cheesy, but... It works well. And and the model that she made of our house versus the plans, it's close enough. Good enough for government work. It it, it got the job done. And and so that's that's an option too, where there there are I guess ways outside the box beyond traditional ways to to, to do these type of things as well. Um I think like Home Depot has an app like where you can like take a picture of your room uh-huh. and then go through the different tiles and floorings and it sticks it in there for you. Mm. Like, so that's like a free app. Like, I think so more and more tech is coming to do stuff like that, but a full 3D, like before it even exists, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the other thing I was going to mention, cause this one caught me by surprise is, um, roof lines. So not only just visualizing your roof lines and hey, if you make them simpler, then obviously the house is going to cost less and, and those type of situations where really thinking about the lines of the house and what the framing might look like inside of that and, and adding or reducing complexity versus aesthetics. But one thing I didn't think of is we have some, some odd looking, well not odd, but like some, some different looking kind of roof lines and, and dormers and that kind of stuff. And when it actually came time to put gutters in the house, we had to have some downspouts in places that I never envisioned putting a downspout, hmm. but I never would have thought of that designing the roof, but roof's done, need gutters because erosion's bad. So mm-hmm. a downspout's going to go where it has to go. And and that's something you have to live with. 
It's not bad. Yeah, we just brought in a bazillion dollars worth of shale. Let's not erode it, right? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, so that's, that's something, those types of things. Uh, and then I guess also, uh, for me at least was the attic space. So visualizing the attic space, cause the plans versus what actually, um, what you actually get are a little different. One thing in particular is one section of my attic, it's a two story house. So, um, one section of my attic, there's a big step down into the attic because the floor joists in that area of the house are thinner. I would have mm. preferred them not to be. I would have preferred every floor joist, you know, on the, the second floor to be uniform, but it was an attic space. It didn't take the same kind of load, you know, as a normal living space. And so the, the engineers, you know, put smaller floor joists in to save money. I bet the cost delta on that's pretty cheap to, to make them the same as the other, but it's something I never would have thought of until, you know, the framers are already framing it at that point. Well, I ain't changing it. So just, just little things like that, I think really help, uh, you know, just to think deeply about the problem and, and actively try to make your brain think deeper than you would normally think about the problem during the space. And, and you might come up with some things that, uh, that you're glad you, you thought of. Yeah. It's interesting. You, you kind of mentioned the joices and the, the thickness and all like somebody here already was saying that there's a couple things they're considering, but if they do stick built, they're going to do all two by sixes and like, well, your outer walls, that probably makes a lot of sense. But in an interior wall, it probably doesn't matter, especially if it's a non-load bearing, just a, you know, uh, a facade wall or something like that. So sometimes we can think, I'm going to use the best material. Well, the best material is the thing that's going to last at least until you die uh, mm-hmm. that costs the least, right? <laughs> so that kind of brings me to my next question. You know that one of my favorite sayings is don't hate money or money will hate you. And the more money we're spending and the more dynamic our decision-making process, the more opportunities in the hate money equation pop up, the more variables. So how, how do you go about not hating money while building a house from the ground up? Yeah. So there are opportunities. I mean, obviously you're spending a lot of money, especially in, in my case where working with the general contractor that I did, I was paying all the bills. So I was, I was writing the checks and working with the bank to get draws on the construction loan as I needed to. So I was handling all the finances and there are a lot of opportunities to save money while doing this. Uh, the first one on my list actually is uh, Lowe's. You'll be buying a lot of stuff at Lowe's. So mm-hmm. as a non-professional, right, non-contractor, you can go yeah. and sign up for their pro account and get a Lowe's account receivable, LAR account, which is basically just a 30, like a net 30 accounts receivable type of account. They give you a card and that gives you 5% off everything. Everything in the store, everything you buy at Lowe's, 5% off the top. So that, that is free money. So, uh, so I would highly recommend that. I wish I had learned it earlier in the project than I did, but it, uh, that, that has saved a, a fair bit of money. I mean, it, yeah, it's only 5%, but it's 5%. And if you're talking many, 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 many lows trips, I made way more lows trips than I could count. It adds up. Um, yeah, I want to say that. Yeah, it definitely uh, adds up. Along the same lines, uh, cashback credit card. You know, I, you know, your, your one half, 2% cashback cards are out there. Uh, in my case, I was able to charge my framing on a credit card. <laughs> so oh, wow. that, I mean, you can do the math real quick, you know, for tens of thousands of dollars in wood, 2% cashback. That's not insignificant, right? So it, uh, it, that's something that you can really, uh, really take advantage of. Uh, 
likewise, there are other things. I mean, uh, you know, a pro account at Home Depot, kind of similar. They give you little perks, but not nearly like those. Um, and then shopping for materials. If you have a big material buy, I did this for a lot of my electrical and plumbing supplies. Put the spreadsheet together. Take Put in the effort to make the columns. Here's how much everything costs everywhere at the, the big box stores, local supply houses, online. Do enough of the homework and, and, and let Excel tell you where to buy stuff because you'll be surprised at some of the price differences, especially between supply houses and big box stores. And there, I, I have yet to find a correlation because sometimes the supply house is insanely over, is insanely expensive and other times they're very cheap compared to the big box. And so, but you won't know all that unless you, you know, put it all in Excel and, and get the data. Right. Yeah. Um, and then I, the last thing I would say is <clears throat> it kind of sounds like a four letter word, but government assistance in that I guess I'll, I'll, I'll take it to your term, Jack, of status jujitsu. Okay. Right. Try, trying to, you know, what can, what kind of, what can you do to, to recapture some of that capital? So in, in my case, my county gave me a culvert for free. That was just a service that they did. Uh, I, well, I say for free. I bought the culvert, I bought the pipe, but they installed it and threw a load of gravel on it for free. One less expense. Um, so research those kind of things to see what, what, Things your county might offer, you know, just as a service to its to its citizens. Um, uh, also, in our case, our kind of situation. Uh, my wife is Native American, and through her uh, tribe, they offer they offer their citizens who are building houses a septic system. So in our case, our aerobic we had an aerobic septic system that was able to be put in for us uh, at no cost to us. So that I mean that's a that's a fairly niche situation. But it, it's out there. So look for those types of opportunities, um, and, and you might be surprised at what you can find. Yeah, and there's always ways to game. Like I was just talking here uh, with the folks on the back end. So Home Depot has a similar program that you can do there and, and get that 5%. They basically do everything. They both do whatever the other side does. Well, in the fold, if you use the fold card, you can buy – a Home Depot gift card and immediately get two and a half percent cash back. Plus you get 1%. So that's three and a half percent right there. You still have the 5% from the store and your cash back is in sats. So like, I'm not saying do that. I'm just saying like, always look at like, what can I gain into the system? How can I, we hear about function stacking and permaculture, right? Well, how can I function stack in my payments? I'll push that through as many doors as it needs to go through if money's coming back to me on the other side of it. And then uh, Home Depot, sorry, Lowe's has a uh, veteran's discount, which is really great. I think it's 10%. So if you're a veteran, make sure you sign up for that. And, of course, that would cancel out the uh, the five off as the, uh, with the account. But you still, it's 10% over five. So whatever works best for you, right? I mean, like, don't hate money or money will hate you. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um what are some considerations when you choose a builder or general contractor? You did a lot of DIY from what you were saying, but I, I still think you had some work done by others. Oh yeah, a- absolutely. I like, like you said, getting up on the roof, my ladder legs go up to about 15 feet after that. Not so much. So yeah, yeah no, I, I, I pretty much had the house dried in, you know, by, by others and, and a bunch of other work too. So yes, no, definitely general contractor. I worked with a builder and he had subs 
And so uh, when shopping for, when shopping for this kind of thing, I mean, reputation is kind of the first thing. I mean, you know, is he, is he well known in the area? Talk to his clients, let him show you kind of his portfolio, right? In our case, we had a family friend who recommended him and they were building the house with him. So we got to go visit him at the job site, look at their house, see his work, talk to him. Right. And, and so having a builder that's open to doing that, um, in our case, uh, he was more of an independent builder versus like one of the big chains, you know, who, who crank out production, tons of production homes a year. And so that gave us the advantage of he was more flexible. So he was totally cool with me DIYing whatever I wanted. Hmm. You know, he, he had his draw schedule and hey, you know, if we make the milestones and he gets paid and everything's happy. And as long as I don't, I guess from his perspective, right, make any kind of type one errors or do anything unsafe, he was totally fine with it. Yeah. Um, so having, you know, choosing the contractor that gives you that flexibility, if you're the DIY type and you want to, you know, do stuff, right? You want to do your own, you know, electrical plumbing, whatever. And he's cool with that. that, that, that you know, you want to make sure they give you that flexibility. Um, the other kind of terminology that, that, that I learned about was the builders can either be, I guess, cost plus or more of a fixed cost where you have a, either have a contract to say, I will build you this house to these specifications for a total amount. Or you have a builder that says, hey, here, I'm going to charge you a flat fee to manage your project with a draw schedule during construction, and you pay me that, and then your house just costs what it costs, and you pay it. In our case, that's that's the one we went with was just that flat fee, uh, and it worked out well for us, certainly. Um, I've, I've heard some stories of people going the other way, especially with the big builders, uh, you know, during the, the pandemic where costs – exploded so rapidly mm-hmm. that, you know, builders were basically defaulting on their contracts and just getting out and being done and taking whatever penalty that might be. And, and then the, of course the homeowners kind of left high and dry. Yeah. And that's something like people don't understand. That's going to be a business decision that a builder is going to make. I'm going to pay a pen. I'm going to lose $25,000 if I walk away, but if I stay, I'm going to lose $50,000. Yes. Dude, they're gonna. Leave. I don't care how much you like your builder or whatever. In the middle of a crisis like that, that dude's gonna walk away. That's another reason we have to have those contingencies because what ended up happening, and I think it happens less now because they're 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 doing bids with contingencies written in them on the commodity price, right? But the guy would bid the job, and he was bidding materials, and he was basing materials on normal pricing, like the the price of stud lumber, you know, or the price of you know, five-eighths plywood or particle board or whatever, pretty steady over a year. Maybe not over five years, but over a year. You know, maybe like I remember back in the like 2010, somewhere in there, there was like a drywall shortage for a few months, like one component. But, man, during this, everything went haywire, and these guys were like $30,000, $40,000 underwater on materials, like if they could get them. And oh, yeah. yeah, that exit clause was like, yeah, this hurts, but here's some money and find somebody else to do it. And of course, nobody else could do it either. Right. Cause nobody else oh, yeah. could get the materials or afford the materials or, you know, maybe there was some help in that if they paid the exit, right. That's the other thing too. Yeah. We'll pay it net 60. Bye. And you're sitting there with a half built house with a tarp over it. Oh yeah. That that's a real situation. Cause if, if you weren't paying attention to material prices during, during all this, they went crazy. Like I got the 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 fortune of hitting peak OSB 
at the pricing when I, you know, when I needed it. So, I yeah. mean, it's, <clears throat> it, the prices went absolutely insane. Um, and so, yeah, that, that it's a real thing. And, and so, uh, you got to plan for it at least as best you can. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that, like, so, um, when you were doing this, how did you make that decision? I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to hire a guy. I'm going to let my general handle it. Sure. <clears throat> so <clears throat> I w- first, I think you got to talk about mindset. I went into this project, you know, once we committed and we said we're doing this, I went, in, went into it with the mindset of, okay, until this house is done, this is my second job. Like, I'm, you know, I'll work my eight to five. And then every waking moment that I can, I'm at this house making it happen. And so I, I think you want to get yourself in the right mindset of, of the mission to accomplish. And, and then once you get your head right, then you can decide, okay, what can I really do? And in my case, it was I did as much as I could to keep myself busy. Um, and... And then as things started to stack up, I would hire them out. Um, so I, I would say you really need to figure out how much time you have and then be really honest with yourself because you can't do as much as you think you can. You really can't. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how much time you think you have. You 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 won't get it done. It'll take longer. So you, you really got to be honest with your time budget. Um, I would say what skills do you have? What are you good at? Right. That's obviously plays into it. I would also put forth what skills do you want? Uh, because for me, it was, I looked at the house as an opportunity to grow my skills, grow my hard skills. So in, yeah. in my case, I ran every bit of electrical in this house from this, from the meter out. I'd never really done electrical before other than your basic homeowner type stuff. Right. But I did my homework when I wasn't at the house when I was chilling at home, recouping, I was watching YouTube videos, learning. And, and I took, and so I, I took it to the next, I tried to take it to the next level of not only am I working on the house, but during my downtime, right? That, the the time leading up before we could break ground, cause there were months, months and months, you know, these processes take time. I was learning. Uh, I would also add, we put a shop on the land beforehand. So that shop became my base of operations to, to do work. But I also had to wire the shop. So <laughs> the shop also came out of proving ground, right? It's like, Oh, well, let me experiment on the shop because if it kind of looks like crap or, you know, whatever, it, it's a shop. Who cares? Right. So I can learn and, and build out the confidence. And then when it's time to actually do the house, I've got just a little bit of experience to or at least I halfway know what I'm doing. Right. So I, I would say it's a good opportunity to learn. And then you have to also balance your time versus cost toward the end of the project when finish out was happening. And you've taken a lot of draws on the construction loan. You're paying that interest payment every month. Mm. And so your your time value equation can really start to look like, all right, can I pay this guy, you know, uh, uh, weird numbers, like can I pay this guy 2000 bucks to put my flooring in or can I pay $1,000 a month for three months to do it myself in interest, right? Because it's going to prolong the, the, the project that long. So those types of, of balances are what are what you need to do. And, and, and sometimes you have to cut the checks. Like I, I plan on doing a lot more than I did. And at the end of the day, I cut checks to get in the house because I didn't have time. And by the end of the project, quite honestly, 
I was very much in the get it done mindset. And so there are a lot of things that I probably shouldn't have done or did that like, you know, like the baseboards, baseboards you can do. But if you're doing baseboards when you're stressed and rushed, they're going to look like crap. And then you're going to see them every day versus pay a trim carpet. That's what I was just saying. I saw on, on Twitter today, like I remember when we did, when we moved in our place in Arkansas, my wife and I kind of split labor and she did the tile in the kitchen and I did the wood floor from the dining room all the way through the living room. And we did that. And then she's like, well, what about the, the seam between it and the bed? I'm like, oh, yeah, we're going to get a contractor. I'm yeah. like, because we can lay that stuff down and it's not perfect on the edges and the baseboard can hide it. But there was a lot of like, not nineties. There were like odd angles and stuff like that. And I'm like, Oh yeah. No, cause I'm, we're going to have to look at that every day for as long as we live here. And it was, it, it still saved us a ton of money over having somebody do tile and somebody do wood floor. Mm-hmm. Like we, we saved a ton of money by doing that piece ourselves. Oh yeah, absolutely. And we made similar decisions. So all the tile work in my master bathroom and shower, I hired it out and it looks yeah. gorgeous. Better than anything I could do because I suck at tile. Right. But I did the tile like in my kids' bathrooms and their floor and like tub surrounds and stuff. I did the tile. Yeah. Does it look fine? Yeah. Does it look great? Maybe if you don't look at the bathroom. My master well, bathroom. Too. Like if you're doing like, yeah. I'm going to lay down square tiles at 90 degrees to the wall. Yep. And, and okay, I could do that. When you go into like a master bath and like they're putting in borders and intricate design, I'm not touching that, man. Yep. No, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do the job that the guy that does it every single day is capable of. Or like yes. our concrete, our concrete counters out on our outdoor kitchen. The dude that put that in, he slept in his truck while it would dry and he'd come back and sand on it a little bit and he'd go back and he, like, I was like, I think it's good enough. No, 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 no. Like, there's no way I can do what that dude does. Like he mm-hmm. lives and breathes, you know, concrete countertops. It's the only thing he does is concrete countertops. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's a time and a place for that expertise for sure. Yeah. So, um, what are some of the things? Cause like now you've been through this and so you've had the thing pop up that you're like, damn, uh, that, that you just know that a person that's never done this before isn't going to think about that they probably should think about. Yeah. Um, so I guess the first thing would be having multiple material sources, scouting that out ahead of time. So one story in my case was wiring the house. I needed another spool of Romex. 1,000 foot, 12-2 Romex, nowhere in stock, anywhere. Never mind it cost double what the last spool cost me. But I couldn't find it anywhere, even if I wanted to pay for it. I happened to have my daughter going up to Kansas City, in my case, for a soccer tournament. So I browsed on all the lows in Kansas City and found one. So I placed the online order. And so while my wife was up there, she picked up a spool of Romex. So it's just figuring out other ways to get material that you otherwise, you know, couldn't get um, to source it, I think is a big thing. Um, Just because supplies are are hard to come by, certainly when I was doing this. I would say some of the little stuff that that you may not think about at the time. Uh, so let's go with power. Bring in more power than you need. In my case, I paid. It, it didn't cost me any more money to get a 320 amp service versus a 200 amp service to my mm-hmm. property. So why not? You know, in my case, I had the shop too, so it worked out well. But 
but get more power than you need. I mean, get the build out the infrastructure in place and build it bigger than you think you need, or at least build it as big as you think you need with all the bells and whistles you could ever want. Um, one case where I couldn't do that was my water tap. So I've got just kind of counting water and I was limited to a three quarter tap. They would not allow me to get a one, in, a, a one inch tap, even though cost wise it was, you know, it was pennies in, in, in the grand scheme of things, but just, you know, for, reasons of infrastructure, they wouldn't allow me to have a tap that big. But if you have that kind of option, get the bigger water tap, especially, you know, you're on acreage, you're going to be doing all, you're going to be growing all the things and watering all the chickens and doing all this irrigation or whatever you need, more water supply, the better, right? So, I mean, I, those are things that, that you can do easy, you know, kind of while the trenches are open, so to speak. Um, propane was the same way for me. Um, I opted for the I'll, thousand I'll there because I've been through some of this myself. And like you said, you, it's easy to add more while the trench is open. It's easy to add more while the wall's open too. Yeah. Like if you think there is ever a point that you might ever, ever, ever possibly want a, a, an outlet there, adding that one outlet is cheap and easy before the walls go closed. Yes. Right. And I've seen people come through roofs trying to fish wires and stuff and it, then that's expensive too when there's a hole in the roof. Like, yeah, and water, water and power in the house. If you think there's ever a time, I don't care if you don't even install it, run, like run a duct that you can pull a line through while yes. the wall's open. Every wall, <clears throat> quad box, like just do it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, absolutely. I tried to do that and I still didn't get it right. And I ended up having to fish, uh, you know, more lines because I, I ran cat six everywhere. And I still didn't run it in places where I should have. And so I had to, you know, fish more stuff for cat six and some fiber lines, which is a whole nother topic. But they, uh, yeah, always take advantage of the infrastructure, run more than you think you need. Um, like for the propane tank, got the big propane tank. And when I put it in the spot in the yard, I made sure there's enough room so I could put a second one. So, so, you know, future state, whole house generator. Hey, if I've got two, a pair of thousand gallon propane tanks, I'm good for a bit. Yeah. Uh, and then size the underground line, right? I mean, I, I went with a bigger underground line so I can run the generator and the in-ground pool heater and five tankless water heaters and, you know, and, a, and you know, a blacksmith's forge or whatever, right? I mean, I want to yeah. have that capacity because the delta between the cost of upsizing a line is really not that much. Um, yeah. That's one of those things. It's like, it's like putting in a pond. Put the biggest one you can put in first because it, if it's $10,000 to do this little pond, and it's $20,000 to do the big pond. It is not going to be $10,000 to turn the little pond into a big pond. Yeah. You're going to have, it's going to be, it's going to be another, it's going to be almost as much as doing the first place. So you're going to be into something that would have been 20 for 30. Right. Like, and I think there's a lot of things like that, like doing it while it's open and available and easy and initial install. It, it, like if it's, if it's a 20% difference in cost, it's going to be an 80% difference in cost to change it at least. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one other thing that, that I learned that I'll at least share the info is when we had our aerobic septic system put in, the, the contractor who was installing it, he upsold us on something that, that I really liked and it was an additional expense. But again, they're digging the giant hole for the septic. Maybe we should do it now. Um, adding a normal septic tank upstream of the aerobic tank. Uh, that was something I had never even considered, but the guy basically said, Hey, look, if you do this, especially with us, we've got a large family, you have a, 
this will drastically increase the life of your aerobic equipment because you have this kind of buffer tank. You won't have to clean it out as often, et cetera, et cetera. So that was something that I had never even, you know, I, I didn't know anything about it, but it made a lot of sense to me. And so that was, that was an additional cost, but in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't that much, especially when, you know, the excavator is already there, right? So might as well add it. And and I, I think that that was a good upgrade. So something I learned that maybe is beneficial yeah, that's a good way to just think in general. When you're dealing with professionals and they're upselling you, it's not always just to upsell you. Sometimes that they're really giving you a value add. I think when they're pushy about it, you know, maybe you shouldn't do it. But yeah. when when they're like, hey, I just want you to know, you might really want to pay attention. To that. And sometimes it's little things like we had some tiling work done and we got a really good deal on this tile we loved. And it was like being discontinued. And it was cheap as shit. And the, like this didn't even really benefit the guy that did the work. Because we were buying the materials he was doing the work. And he goes, you know, you might want to just buy enough of that tile to do that other bathroom you talked about doing in the future right now if you would use that tile in there. Because we were it was like, it was something, I don't even remember, but it was so cheap. I was like, you know what, just, how much is there? Just like, just get it all. Like I'm, I can always use tiles somewhere. I can I can you know give it away to somebody that needs it or, or whatever. If I end up not using it, um, and it was it was dumb. It was like twenty five percent of what it would have normally cost. Mm. Like so, listen to the because I would have never thought of that, right? I was just like, oh great, it's cheap. How much do we need? He's like, well, you might. You know, you know. And and so when I was younger, especially with a sales background, I would always have kind of the spider sense and the hackles go up when they're like, you can tell this is an add on sale. And, but over the years, I've learned maybe insurance salesmen as well. Like, listen, you can always say no, but listen, then consider if it's a big expense, throw it in a spreadsheet. But like the stuff you're talking about, it's always going to pass the life cycle test as being more expedient to do now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so what did building a house in the middle of the COVID pandemic teach you the most like that that had to be a major disruption but that you come away with things that might be useful when there is a disruption or might just be useful all the time anyway yeah <clears throat> so i mean i guess the first thing the the common phrase right no plan survives first contact with the enemy like is very true because we planned we planned we planned we thought we covered every contingency and you know to be fair it was a crazy <laughs> thing that happened that no one that no one really forced you know could foresee but no matter how good you plan something's going to happen and you have to be able to you know adapt to that and so and, and that doesn't mean you have a plan right because if i wasn't able to diy what i did and save the money where i did it would have been a whole lot worse as far as budget overruns i mean for the controllable things that we could control the plan actually went off fairly well it was all of the uncontrollable things that that kind of messed everything over, right? So, and at the end of the day, right? I mean, I'm broadcasting from the house. It all worked out. We're good. But it, uh, <laughs> but it was a journey to get there, right? Two two years uh, of crazy. Um, you know, so you you got you got to be flexible, like having flexibility and determination to just to just see it to completion, not give up. Um, and not get kind of discouraged and, and keeping your mindset right, keeping a positive mental attitude. Um, 
and, and keeping kind of pressing on no matter what's going on, you know, when the stress level is through the roof, you know, not only on the project, but, you know, if, if, if you and, and your wife are, are, are stressed about the project, either through disagreement or just the situation, right, staying focused on the goal and, and working together to achieve that goal, I think are the, the biggest things. If you can do that and, and have that unified front together as husband and wife, you know, or, or whoever, right, I think that will see you through about anything. So you got the home now. Now it's time for the homestead. You got to have a home to have a homestead. What are some of your future plans for the homestead? Oh gosh. Well, uh, so now that I'm in the home and kind of breathing, right. Um, you know, I guess side hustles abound, right. Uh, so I mean, the first homestead thing that we would like to do is just, you know, egg chickens, right. A, a layer flock, uh, that's on the roadmap. Uh, you know, hope, you know, maybe by next spring we shall see. Uh, right now we're still trying to get stabilized in the house and just, you know, figure out what the new financial picture looks like, right? And, and getting all that sorted. Uh, but that, I mean, certainly long-term future state, I mean, putting gardens in, growing food, all, all of those kind of things. Um, you know, certainly my, my daughters and wife have said, we should get a goat. And I, <laughs> I not while you're doing that, uh, you gotta finish some other things first. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so I mean, little stuff. Um, some more land clearing. You know, we, we there's still a bit of forest that we want to clear. I'm just doing that by hand as I have time with a chainsaw, right? Um, I so one side hustle that I've started. Uh, actually, uh, I've got a Bitcoin ASIC miner going in the attic, and so expanding that operation uh, would be would be something I, is on the list, certainly. Um, beyond that, just uh, Honestly, growing up in the suburbs, I'll say I'm, a, I'm an aspiring country boy. So kind of learning, learning a lot of that. I, I look forward to try to do some hunting in the fall. I mean, you know, want to put a shooting range in, make use of the ponds, right? Put a dock, little dock out there for a little little john boat or something. I mean, so just all those kind of homesteady things. Um, I don't have a good order uh, of it, you know, for that kind of stuff. It's just kind of as, as we can. And, uh, you know, it started – I started the YouTube channel to, to document uh, the process. And so as I do things, certainly I'll, I'll publish to that, to that medium uh, to, to kind of document our progress and, and kind of show everybody what we're doing. Very cool. And I am going to pull up your YouTube channel here just a second. While we do that, though, let me get you running on some questions. Um Start off from the bottom up. Guys, if you have questions while we work through these eight, we'll do one more round after we get through these. If we have time, all caps in the first couple letters. So when I come back to the comments that are not starred, uh, I will find your new ones. Uh, Hosgus14 says, how long was the permit process? Were there any hassles in the city or the county? I think you said you're kind of like me. Like, that probably wasn't a big deal for you, right? Yeah, no, it really wasn't. So, in my case, no inspections, no permits. The only type of inspections or permits were as a part of the septic, uh, aerobic septic installation. There was a sign off from the whatever jurisdiction handles those, but that was all done by, by the, uh, by the contractor who put that in. So I really didn't have to deal with that. Um, and then as a part of the mortgage process, they send their inspectors out periodically throughout the build just to basically confirm, Hey, nope. There's a house here, and based upon your draw level of the loan, you are far enough along where we don't foresee any issues. And then they have a final inspection at the end to make sure that, hey, your house is 
livable, right? Before you can actually close. So that was about it for, for my experience. Yeah. I mean, here, what we have is very similar in that there's not much to be done. You have to get a septic permit and that's $500 and you really don't, but if you want to use a contractor to like put a foundation in anything that's going to be a structure, they won't do it until you have the permit. And if you're doing a loan, you can't get the loan until you have the permit. The thing is they give you the permit and they go away and they don't come back. They don't even come back to see if you put the septic system in the way that they said the builder doesn't care. You could do something. You could do composting toilets. You could do whatever you want, but the state got to upgrade, got to get his five, five, five bills. He gets his five bills. Everybody's happy and they go away and they do that also so that, and it's really redundant, but because no septic company is going to put in the wrong system for your soil type. But like where I live now, there were not the, you know, like the, uh, the aerobic systems that they have today. So they did an anaerobic in ground system. It's really not the right solution, but it works. But today they wouldn't give me a permit. They would say you need to do, you know, an aerobic or you need to do a lagoon or you need to do whatever. Right. That's all we have to do. And I think there's, that's kind of one of the considerations we talked about, like picking a place where you don't have to deal with uh, the department of making you sad too much. Uh, how many months did it take from site prep to a hundred percent complete? So that took from the time we actually, I guess, site prep. Hello, YouTube. It was about a year and a half for, to where we actually started clearing trees and moving dirt until we actually moved in. I think it was about a year and a half. Okay. So That's it's not too bad. Especially it, it, it there was wasn't a pandemic bad. in there, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, and a lot of those delays were just the homes here. Right? You know, it, I mean, I was waiting on Masons forever because we got the good Masons and everyone wanted the good Masons. And so the good Masons, you know, they were backlogged. And so I waited forever for that. And I'm glad I did because the stonework is incredible, but you know, just those kind of delays are really what, what, uh, what drove us, which allows you to DIY more, you know, cause you're not just going to be sitting around. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I noticed that too, like anything we did want to get done during that time in the very beginning, people were afraid. And if you weren't and people were willing to work, you could get things done actually faster but it, that didn't last long. That was like the first couple months. Like we had some some stuff done by a contractor like in the first month when I don't even know if they were supposed to be doing it. There was lockdown orders that nobody obeyed. And it was like, yeah, we can, do it. we can do it now. Like they were starving for business. And within two months, if you needed something done, man, it was like, well, you know, it's like May. I'll see you in August. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was so disruptive. What about this one? Was there a lot of relationship stress? Yes, <laughs> there absolutely was. I mean, I, I mean, I'm going to reformat the question and be like more like, and how did you deal with it? I think that would be yeah. the more important thing. There will be relationship stress oh, yeah. in the best situation. Building a freaking house, there will be stress. So how do you deal oh, with yeah. that? Oh, yeah. To me, I think keeping those lines of communication open and, you know, not – not projecting at each other, right? I mean, you're, you're going to get frustrated either with each other or just you're going to get frustrated with the situation and that's going to come out and project in, in a bad way, right? Where you're going to take it out on your spouse and you don't mean to. Really keeping that in check, really taking a breath, 
really just keeping focus on the goal and and remember why you're building the house. Right? Remember why you're building the house together, right? I, I, I and focus on that goal and the fact that you know you want to build this house and build this life with your spouse, right? Kind of take your mind back. I mean, it, take your mind back all the way. Why did you fall in love? Why do you like this person, right? I mean, put all those things in perspective of no, we're doing this for us, for our family, etc. And so keep I think keeping that mindset will help reduce a lot of the kind of that just emotional I guess tension. I, I think like you know you mentioned the rendering and all if you did that that would be a good time to just sit down and look at it. Remember what we're doing and what it's gonna be like when we're done. Yes. Um I think it's the same phenomenon like when I was building my podcast up and I was working 60 to 70 hours a week in a job. And then I was adding another 30 to 40 hours of work on top of that. And I wasn't around. And I remember sitting down with my wife one day and going, give me six more months. Cause it's all going to be worth it because that other thing is going to go away. And the asshole that comes home from work, he won't be here anymore, but we got to do this now. It's the same. Whenever you're building anything and you're sacrificing the build, it's going to put stress on a relationship. And I think it's always knowing the end of that journey that gets you through it together. And, and remember, we started this journey together. We made this decision together. I think that's important, too, because assigning blame will only make things worse in a situation Absolutely. like that. Um, how much do you think you saved in dollars for doing you, you, the part you've done as the DIY? It's a really hard one. Because um, I, I, as far as that, I don't have good numbers. I know kind of what I spent but I don't know what the actuals would be if I hired it out, that type of thing, especially the way I did stuff. Like I went overkill on the electrical and the networking and that kind of stuff to where if I had hired a contractor to do it the way I wanted it, they might've hated me, but they, you know, it would have cost more. I mean, if I had to throw out a number, I mean, at least 50, I'd say 50 K probably, uh, and probably more, uh, if I had hired out every little bit, you know, every little bit of work, I'm sure I saved a lot more than that, but I mean, Conservatively, I probably save that much. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, did you pay off the land and use it as collateral for your construction loan? Yes. So our, our pattern was we, we bought the land for cash and then we, we financed the house build at, you know, 100%. But with the value of the land, that more than covered the 20% for traditional financing. Ah. Ah, 20%, the magic number where there's no PMI in the mortgage. Yes. I, I like the way, see, this is, this guy don't, don't, don't hate money. That's, that's a brilliant tactic where if you try to finance the thing together, you have to come up with that 20%, whereas you probably profited the, the, what you paid for the land was less than the collateralization cost to get out of the PMI. Cause being out of PMI is nice. We just, we just got out of it in this house because we didn't go in at 20% down when we bought it, even though it went way, way. That's the other thing, too. When your real estate agent tells you, like, well, you can have it reappraised. No, no. You can refinance the mortgage and then it'll get reappraised. But what will happen is no matter how much your home goes up in value, if you go in at like a 3% FHA, until you've paid down the equity to equal 20% of the original purchase price relative to your cost, they will make you pay it. And remember, PMI doesn't benefit anybody but them. It doesn't benefit oh, yeah. you in any way. So if you can get out of it, any way you can stack things, doing an 80-20 more, whatever, never pay it unless you absolutely have to, unless it just makes sense to pay it. 
So I, I like that. That's some jujitsu oh. shit right there. Uh, oh, yeah. Let's see. Walt has, how big of a hassle was it securing a construction loan? Did you need a large cash reserve? Well, we kind of just covered that, but I mean, was it pretty straight? Would you say if you could get a mortgage by house, you could probably do what you have done? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The, I mean, I mean, as with any process with the bank, right? It can be painful, right? But, yeah. but given that it wasn't that hard. I mean, we, you know, interviewed a couple of banks and chose the one that had the best kind of package and rates and, and all that kind of stuff. And it really was not that hard. Uh, you know, as long as you jump through their hoops and satisfy their requirements to make sure, no, you actually hired a legitimate contractor and he can actually build a house, that kind of stuff. Uh, it was pretty painless. Also from Walt, we did hit some of these. I just wonder if you maybe missed any. Were there anything that you felt was like completely out of the blue, anything that caught you completely off guard, fees, random things? Uh, I mean, I guess the one of the first blind sides, and, and in hindsight, right, it wasn't out of the blue necessarily, but I had known lumber costs and whatever had gone up. But when I got that first kind of monthly bill from the lumber company and I saw the number of zeros on that thing, I was like, oh, my gosh, it's just sticker shock. Mm. Right. Because like this is like lumber draw one of like three and we've just like pretty much blown the budget. Oh, my gosh. So that that was something that really hit me hard. Well, here's this almost sounds more like a suggestion and it doesn't do you any good. But maybe it would do somebody else some good. I don't know anything about this. Uh, Rake said, could filter fabric help with how much base would sink? I don't even know what filter fabric is. a good question. Is, I have no idea. Yeah. That would be some, that would be a thing to find out if you end up in a similar situation, guys. Like, is there, like laying down some fabric, if that'll reduce our fill cost and does it reduce it by enough to pay for the fabric or, or better then yeah. And that's like always looking for different ways to do things, but. I've never actually heard of that. It seems like some brain cell somewhere has some vague memory of it being mentioned once somewhere, but I, I don't have any knowledge of it. Um, while you were talking, I, for those who were in the video uh, or watching the video later on, I, I kind of scrolled through your YouTube channel. And when I got to the bottom, what you saw was him standing there pointing at a bare piece of, like you see just his hand and a bare piece of ground. And as you watch, you watch that house get built from the point of laying out the foundation all the way through to where they are now and what they continue to do. That's value, and that's value in this age that couldn't have existed 20 years ago. The ability to share information like that easily and cost-effectively across a YouTube channel. And the only thing he asks from you to get all that information is to subscribe to his channel. And you guys, when I did that, you saw me subscribe. And then see that little bell next to it? Hit the little bell, and then maybe YouTube won't unsubscribe you, and then maybe YouTube will send you an alert whenever there's something new published. As a redundancy, I will have in the show notes today a link to uh, his uh, Odyssey channel, which is mirrored, so it's everything that's on one is on the other. And I would really recommend that you subscribe to both. And I do have a Twitter account here, uh, so I will have that as well. And uh, with that, I think we've pretty much covered everything that we set out to do. Oh, wait, we got one more. Walt snuck a question at the end. After all this, would you 100% build your own, or after this, would you pay, or would you say it depends if you had to do it again? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, I think it'll always say it depends, right? Because, I mean, yeah. 
if I had tens of millions of dollars? No, <laughs> absolutely yeah. not. Right. <laughs> I'll cut checks and sit on a beach. But if I had to do it all over again, I would still build. Um, I don't plan on doing that ever again. Yeah. But the reality is I would make pretty much the same choices I would make that I already had. Or if I had to do it again, you know, for whatever reason, I probably would do some level of DIY because despite the stress, a lot of the work I enjoy doing and I learn the skills, at least at a minimal level, I'll say. So why not put those to work? Uh, you know, assuming time, time permits, why not? Maybe not. I would say level, like, but. when, when, when would this be would be a depends, right? So is it in the, in the years of depends? So maybe not, right? So like, yeah. if I was going to build a new place right now, I would probably do quite a bit of DIY in it. When I'm 70, I probably wouldn't. Maybe I would. I don't know. But when I'm 80, I damn sure I'm not going to do very much DIY. So there's, you know, that. Or what else do you have going on in your life? Like Walt says, any reason what you would tell people to buy pre-built? So let's say you said being like super rich or whatever, but not even that. Let's just say you got an upper white collar, well-employed individual that's pulling down 200 grand a year. You, he will never save what it will cost him in time off from work, assuming he can take it with that kind of salary, what he would gain by just paying somebody that knows how to do it, to do a major port. He still might like do tiling in the kids' bathrooms, like you said, or something like that. But like that person would be well suited, in my opinion. To, to limit the amount of DIY they would do. I do pretty well podcasting. Like I would have to make every single thing. I would look at it this way. If I take time off from what I'm doing, what does it cost me? And what do I gain? And any time that number puts me in the negative, unless I just really want to do it, like I have some real passionate reason, I'll let somebody else do it. Whether that's yeah. build the whole damn thing or – uh, I'm not going to frame that wall. I'm going to have uh, somebody come in and frame it for you know 20 bucks an hour. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. And, and I mean, I, it, it definitely depends on your situation, right? I, for all the reasons you said. Uh, before we bought land, we were looking at a few pre-built houses that were really nice, and so we kind of had to make the decision: you know, do we want this easy button mm. with the compromises that come with it? Yeah. Right. And and. and so I, it's a hard question, right? Because every situation is different. So I, I would definitely you know, say it, it has to depend. Yeah, because you build the house, you get to decide everything. I want this room bigger. Okay, it's a bigger room. But yes. the, the other side of it is if I can't find the location with a house on it and I find this perfect piece of land, yeah, and I'm kind of I'm gonna build. Now I got to decide: am I going to DIY part of it or not? Am I gonna, am I not going to do any DIY? But I'm going to function as my own general. Yeah. Right. And that, a lot yep. of times I think that's a good that's a good way to be, too. Like, I'm not actually going to do any work, but I'm going to hire all the subs. I'm going to do all the coordination. I'm going to do the Gantt. I'm going to do it just like I'm a paid project manager and yep. I'm going to PM the job myself as my own general contractor. That's an in between. That's actually but something yeah. we never did a show on. Maybe if anybody out there ever did that. You didn't swing a hammer one time. but You act as your own general contractor. Get in touch with us. We'll, we'll have you on because I think. We need to do more like this. This was a great interview. Um, a lot of kind comments uh, in the live chat from it already. Uh, this is the kind of thing people want to hear, man. So thanks for reaching out. Thanks for being on the show with us today. Thank you very much, Jack. I appreciate you having me on. It's been a pleasure. And, uh, and guys, again, get by, get by Chris's channels and subscribe to him. And, and we got, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll catch you again uh, tomorrow with another one.
I really enjoyed that interview. I was telling Chris before we got started that my best podcast interviews are just stories of what happened and how things went rather than like some sort of high-end presentation or something like that. And I really do enjoy talking to people that have actually lived an experience that others in our audience are looking to live and have them come recount the story of that experience so that you can learn from their experience. Because you always say experience is a great teacher. Uh, the combined experience of others combined with your own is the best way to learn. Uh, because that way you already are aware of some of the pitfalls and things that get overlooked and things like that. And you'll still have stumbles along the way, and life will still teach you. Life is a teacher. Some people are slow learners, right? Um, but if you, you use the experience of others as you go on your own journey, then you become a much more rapid learner and adapter to life's lessons. With that, let's go ahead and wrap up. Let me remind you guys, if you like the show and the work we do, you can, you can help support us by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, T-S-P-A-Z.com. Today's item of the day is one I haven't brought around in a long time, um, but I've been recommending it forever in a day. It's the Ringer, and it's, a, it's marketed as the cast iron scrubber. It's basically a little piece of chain mail, and it's, it's, it's for you guys to cook with cast iron when you're cleaning that pan out, and you don't want somebody using a scouring pan with soap and water and all that. You just take this little piece of chain mail, and all the little bits that stick to that pan that don't want to come out, come out. You know what else it works great on? It works great on carbon steel. I, I barely use my cast iron cookware anymore. I used to be a huge fan. I switched over to, to carbon steel, uh, and it, it, it works great for that. And you have some really stubborn stuff. I just get a little bit wet and throw a little bit of uh, kosher salt as an abrasive cleaner. And, man, it, it does a great job. Um, there, it's on sale today. It's like 9% off or something like that. It's not a huge discount. But if you cook with cast iron or carbon steel and you don't have one, get one. It'll never wear out. It'll never break. I even dropped mine down the dadgone garbage disposal. I almost broke the garbage disposal, but it was a little bent up in some spots. But it was fine. It still works. So if I dropped in the garbage disposal and it, it, it ain't broke, you ain't going to wear it out cleaning your pans with it ever. So it's a lifetime purchase. It looks cool, too. Uh, you can go look at the uh, article if you want to see what it looks like. Just go to survivalpodcast.com and scroll down directly under today's episode, and you will see that. And you can always find any of my recommendations all my reviews at tspaz.com. And I want to remind you guys that uh, John Bush is, is uh, and, and the reason I'm reminding you a second day in a row is because he has a, a special bonus in it. He has his Live Free Academy budget homesteading workshop coming up. It's going to be on, the I think, the 3rd of September. It's going to be that first week of September. I think it's on a weekend. I'm not sure. You have to look that up. But he has a couple bonuses if you buy your tickets to it before Friday. And you can find out more about that, again, at the survivalpodcast.com. Just scroll down a few articles and you'll see it. Uh, check out the Live Free Academy Budget Homesteading Workshop and, and check that out. And if you're in my Daily Mail, uh, there'll be a blurb in it today. And that's a little, little promo for the Daily Mail, guys. It's the best way to not miss anything, TSP. It's the least annoying email you'll get that's commercial in nature. It's never spam. It's basically an email, just text, no graphics, no crap, no tracking stuff. And it says, hey, here's what's new today at TSP. And it's at the end of the day when I get the show done, anything that went out on the blog, anything for the week, goes into five little bullet points. And then it says, here it is. And you go look at it or you don't. And that would be a great thing to be on, especially if you are thinking about coming to our fall workshop. I keep telling people, like, this this idea that, well, maybe I'll come in. you got to pay attention. 
And you got to know what Saturday it drops. And I'm going to, I am, I'm spitballing here, but I'm going to guess at the day I'm going to put it on sale. I'm going to say it's probably going to be September 17th that it'll go on sale. It'll probably be 10 o'clock Central Standard Time on a Saturday, which is Saturday the 17th. And if it goes on sale at 10 a.m., especially this year, I'm limiting the seats and I'm pulling back from 65. It was just too many last year. I felt that we didn't do as good a job as we should have for everybody that was here with food service and everything else. 50 is about our limit. That still puts at about 70 people with staff and, and, and all. Um, so it's going to be 50 instead of 65. Last year at 65, we sold out in two freaking minutes. So if you want to be able to get a shot at a ticket this year, if you're in the Daily Mail, if anything changes that I just told you, you'll know before it happens and you can be ready to go and kind of on the spot for it. And it, I, I have to tell people every year that are personal friends, I'm sorry you didn't get in. It, it, I just... I can only do so many. Uh, so being on the Daily Mail is the best way to make sure you at least get a crack at it. As to the dates of the workshop itself, it will be the week of November 11th. Uh, I keep saying that too. It will always be the week of November 11th, which is Veterans Day, which is not why it's that week. It's just always the week that's the furthest out for us. It gives us the best guarantee of cool versus hot weather. Uh, it gives Dorothy and I the most prep time before it happens, and it's at least two weeks away from Thanksgiving, so it doesn't pile up against Thanksgiving for people. So this year, the way that works out is it will be arrival day will be Wednesday, the 9th of November. The workshop itself will be the 10th, 11th, and 12th. And then you have to get off my property by 10.30 in the morning on that Sunday, which will, of course, be the 13th. I just talked to Karaoke Tim. For those who have been before, you know who that is. And we're going to be doing, he's going to be one of our presenters this year. He's going to be presenting on home automation. And we're actually going to have demos set up where you can see what gear does the stuff. And this is not cloud-based stuff, right, where you got to rely on the Internet. This is stuff that just gets happens on your home. And it, it's not going to use Amazon Alexa and stuff that spies on you or things like that. It's going to be stuff that you can do with off-the-shelf parts, and you're going to learn how to do that. Billy Bond is coming. He's going to do presentation on how to feed your livestock, your poultry, and your pork without relying on the feed store. Nick Ferguson is going to be presenting on how to feed your livestock in a way that is uh, apocalypse-proof. I haven't made every other decision about every other presenter, but it'd probably be worth coming for those three alone right there. It, it, it probably would. Food, as always, will be off the hook, and we will have a great time. And again, Daily Mail. Well, how do I get on the Daily Mail? Go to thesurvivalpodcast.com, look up at the top, and you will see Daily Mail. Click on that, fill out the form. And no, I won't sell your information. With that, I'll be back tomorrow with an expert council Q&A show. Uh, and uh, then Friday we're going to do, I don't know yet. It might be an Outback with Jack. It might be a single topic. I ain't decided. You tell me what you want to hear, and I'll try to make it happen for you. You pull yourself up. They keep bringing you down. Are they going to bail you out or just... Run you around. They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way. Well, 
show you a better way.